tryna get out my head Plug in the mic and leave nothing unsaid uh. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk You are now listening to Unspoken Words Podcast Hey, yeah. I love a good ass story <laughs> hey. Episode 167, Randy's not here So I'm gonna make something up real quick Until I run out of breath and can't speak anymore Episode, hey Hey, 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 hey. Run out of breath, hey, ah, hey, low, hey, lose your breath, hey, ah, hey, low, hey. That's where Randy would have came and did that. Oh, man. <laughs> lose your breath, okay, ah, hey, hey. took my breath away. Bagon, <laughs> when I look at you, you just take my breath away. Not in a good way. Because yeah. <laughs> you're so ugly. <laughs> Bagon, you're just ugly. <laughs> and you're just stink too. <laughs> oh, hey, I used deodorant today. Can't talk like that. I shower one day, use, don't use deodorant. Don't shower the next day and then use deodorant. Say what? Oh. Oh. <laughs> it took me a while to figure that no, out, but glad. I got it. I got it. I got it. Get the reverse underwear. <laughs> well, at least Turn you, them around. Yeah. At least you use uh, deodorant. Yeah. Day two, deodorant. Day two. Yeah, day I'm two. Deodorant free. That's the Crow Fair formula. <laughs> <laughs> when, All right. Oh, go ahead. What did you say? I was going to say when uh, good water is in short supply. Uh-huh. Oh. All right, over here to my right, all the way from Bob and I know, I know, I know he is your favorite Indian, your Hoan One, your ace, JCB. Say Shoda. Shoda. Uh-huh. And over here to my right tonight, special guest in the house, co-host Chester Cheese, Craig Doney, all the way from Bobwell by way of the South Side. Say Shoda. Shoulder, it ain't easy being cheesy. Uh oh, hey, and you know me. Mo hugs, not drugs, all the way from up the road in Arrow Creek. It's real good to be here. I feel like a hero. You're like a hero. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh, thank you guys. For, that was very clappable. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the most clappable thing. <laughs> That was the most clappable thing I heard all day. <laughs> man, <clears throat> I don't know how, man, Randy must have that, those preacher lungs, because I about gassed out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing that. Long-winded preacher. Long-winded. Oh, mm. Pentecostal. Much mm. respect now that I tried your, whatever that, whatever that is. <laughs> From the diaphragm, as he says. From the diaphragm. <laughs> uh, oh, funny story. So before I came over here, I bought I bought these sparkling waters at the gas station, and then I was standing there, I was kind of looking at the different ones, wondering which one to buy. And the coolers in the back of the holiday gas station, like off to the left, there's the restrooms back there, the one over here on Broadwater. And anyway, there's uh, three native individuals standing there. They weren't street chiefs or anything. They're just standing there, and um, <clears throat> I was kind of watching them. Like looking at the water, and they were talking, they're being out loud. And then someone came out of the woman's bathroom, and these bathrooms are like single person. Yeah. And so the woman's bathroom opened up, someone left, and both those, there's two women and a man, a dude. 
and <clears throat> the tour and go into the bathroom and the door closes and they open it back up and they're like they start screaming at the dude they're like get in here oh and they're like what are you doing get in here hurry that <clears throat> the late one of the ladies was saying that and the dude was just standing there and he looked like terrified he was like shaking his head he was like no <laughs> and she said come on get in here what are you doing she said that a few more times, and the dude just stood there, and he was just shaking his head. He was like, no. And then then she said it again, like more kind of like um, more aggression. Just assertive. Yeah, she's get like, in here. bullshit, get in here. What are you doing like that? And I was standing there at this point. I'm just like watching. I was like, what the hell's going on here? And then uh, the dude like says, no, it smells like ass in there. <laughs> And man, I just turned away and I started walking away. And then that that lady that was talking, she was like, "No, it doesn't get in here." And man, I just like I had my waters by that point. I just walked to the cashier and I was like, "I'm out here. I don't want any more of this. I don't want to smell this ass." He's talking about. As soon as he said that, as soon as he said that, you should have ran over there and said, "I'll be the judge of that." Yeah, he just said it smells like ass in there or something. And then but you don't know what they were up to, huh? No, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I was gonna think they were gonna do some drugs. That's what I would have thought too. But I don't know. They might always follow two aunties into the bathroom. And yeah, they might have a soup kitchen. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what the? F- <laughs> <laughs> no, your soup smells like ass. <laughs> That's the best type of soup. <laughs> Menudo. <laughs> I have a soup kitchen and a holiday gas station. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. See that that's the kind of stuff that usually happens to me. Like, yeah, I was just kind of like, I was like, is this really happening? Why are they trying to get him in the bathroom? And then he dropped that bomb. <laughs> he was like, no, it smells like gas in there. <laughs> so it was so, oh, okay. So it wasn't the ladies. It was the fact that it smelled like butt, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. I mean, someone came out, and then they went in there. Or did the lady smell like butt? I don't know. They might have smelled like butt. Maybe it was a combination of all of the above. Yeah, I mean, it's a bathroom. It's a gas station bathroom. <laughs> a holiday gas station bathroom at it's that. It's going to smell like butt. Yeah, Where, which yeah. one? This one right over here? No, the one over here at Broadwater. Oh, okay. It's on the edge of downtown. Yeah. yeah that was pretty crazy. That's, wow. So that was my afternoon. How was your guys' afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> well, anything I could say is probably nah. I'll just save it. Yeah. Okay. It's, okay. That's that's a tough act to follow, right there. I know. I was just kind of like, what? And I was laughing all the way over here. I was like, what <laughs> the hell did he? Did that really happen? Like for real? What are they trying to do? Man, that's one of those things you, you wish you could just record it. I know. But then you didn't really you wouldn't know. Well, I mean, how would you know the punchline anyway at the end? Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously they knew this guy. They had a plan going into it, and then he didn't want to follow through with whatever was happening in that bathroom. Cause he looked scared, like he was like were no, they old, shaking young? his head. What were they? I mean, they're probably like thirties. Oh, so yeah, younger okay. than me. Maybe like this they, guy's age. Maybe they grabbed a few cans and were going to roundhouse them. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, true that. True that. That could be so. The tall cans are the last one. Yep, it's right there. At the well, bathroom. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think. In my drinking days, I wouldn't care what the fuck it smelled like. I would have said, all right, that's the plan. Let's go then. Yeah. But they were in like street folks. But then they, I mean, yeah, I could see 
doing that. You don't uh, have to be a street folk to drink. To drink in a bathroom? <laughs> to steal and then drink in a bathroom. Oh, what do you think they were stealing? In the store. I mean. <clears throat> Man, that just raises so many questions. I know. That's how I was. I was laughing about it. And then I, the closer I got to the, to here, I was just kind of like, what was going on there? What was really going on there? I don't know. Kind of want makes you want to go pick their brains, huh? Yeah. I should have went over there and like, what, what are you guys doing and why does it smell like ass over here? <laughs> And why is that the deal breaker? <laughs> and why won't you join them in the bathroom? Please elaborate. <laughs> I need to know. I Keep need me up at night. <laughs> I need answers. I need answers and I need them now. <laughs> but anyway, that's, uh that's so great. Yeah, that was that was my afternoon before coming over here. But uh Randy, they're Bellings Elite Amateur Boxing Club, they're down in went to Boise, right? Boise. Yeah, they're going down there for regionals, boxing tournament. So all the those youth, all them kids down there, they're going to be boxing, I think, tomorrow. Boxing. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to the Billings Elite Amateur Boxing Club. Say, your, say some prayers for them you as they fight. compete. They got some good boxers in there. They're actually, they got a couple, champ, they got several champions on that squad. That are, you know, going down there to defend titles, defend belts. So, um, yeah, we're, we're behind you guys. You know you can do it. Kick some ass, get some hardware, come on back. And at the end of the month, I think they're going to the Golden Gloves. Oh, silver really? Gloves, too. Where's that at? Nice. It's like in the Midwest somewhere. Somewhere in America. Yeah, in the Middle East of America. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, I got some warm-up questions here. Nice. Tonight we're going to be talking about the first step of Wobriety, but before we get into that, I got some iceberger questions. So feel free to elaborate, be goofy, or answer seriously, but don't be coy. That's my middle name. The fish? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is his middle name. Don't be your middle Not name. Not the fish. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, let's see. Don't go in the bathroom. I was just about to say. <laughs> I was going to say you always follow two aunties into a bathroom, <laughs> unless it smells like butt or ass. That's uh, never been a never been the deal breaker. Never been the deal breaker for me. <laughs> okay. That means it's been marinating in its own juices. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't even want to. I don't even want to think about that. My goodness! Next question. <laughs> ah, that was our episode for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite? What is your favorite item you've bought this year? This year, there's only like four days in this year, so. I'm trying to think of, well, I guess it's not technically this year, but I didn't get it yet, so does that count? I paid for it in December, but I'm not going to get it till tomorrow. I think that is going to be the best. Uh, um, they call them, well, it's not really a groove box. It's not really a, a beat maker, uh-huh. but it's all of those and more. So okay. I think that's going to be my favorite thing. So a song, a song maker. A song maker thing box. I'm going to a AA retreat in Bismarck next week, and nice. that's the best thing I bought myself so far. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, that's cool. That's a very awesome music maker conference. Hopefully the weather holds up. Yeah, our, I looked. It's supposed to snow the morning I'm leaving, so hopefully I can beat the storm to North Dakota. Yeah, beat it. Get it out of the state. <clears throat> what day are you leaving? Friday. Tomorrow? No, next week. Oh, next week. Okay. Yeah. All right, right on, right on. Um, yeah, Santa was good to me, but the presents I bought for myself, no one's seen them but myself. <laughs> I bought myself two pairs of Jordans. Oh. I got the Jordan 12s, the Cherry. Nice. And then the Team Jordan 1s, uh, the UNC color. Uh, Carolina blue? Yeah. Nice. Or University Blue. Yeah, color. University Blue. Like if you don't want to say Carolina, because i kind of seen that look in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> didn't really tell anybody. This is the first time I ever talking about the UNC, the University Blue ones, because I'm a Duke fan, but those are Jordans. So. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, um, so those two, I mean, I bought those for myself. I actually didn't buy them this year, but they were like, I just happened upon them while I was skimming through. Um, so most nights I'm looking at basketball shoes like every night and any given night don't even matter. Like at some point in the evening, <clears throat> I'm looking at basketball shoes. Yeah. Whether that's StockX, Nike app, Adidas app, Champ Sports, Foot Locker app, um, Dick Sporting Goods, Finish Line, whatever. I'm looking at basketball shoes. I just like skimming through them. And I just happened upon these. They were on sale. They were actually in stock. And I was like, oh, I pulled the trigger. I didn't even think about it. Boom, boom. You had to get it. In our sizes, they're rarely in stock. Yeah. From like 9 to about 14, those go fast. Yeah. Like super fast in Jordans. So I seen a size 14 in the Jordan 12 cherries. And I was just like, oh, I like got all excited and I put it in the cart and went to the cart and hit pay and everything else auto filled and yeah have them mm, that's how i am with pants mm. pants pants they never have my size of pants los pantalones los pantalones what <laughs> why what's your size it's uh 34 extra skinny <laughs> <laughs> extra medium no, I, I will. I because I mean I'm so skinny anyway, so I will get a size bigger just to and then use a belt. Yeah. And uh, you know it's um wearing backwards. That's a trick that that all a lot of wearing backwards <laughs> crisscross style. Yeah. Man, I don't think I've done that since I was drunk. Let <laughs> you say since the nineties. <laughs> no, I've never done that. <laughs> I thought that was one of the dumbest, goofiest things that I, I've seen people from here do that. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm not going to name names, but I'm I like, wore them backwards to pay for my drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Your shorts, <thing>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, gotta do what you gotta do. Twenty right. bucks is twenty bucks. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Got to buy that formula and diaper somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so next question. Say you're independently wealthy and don't have to work. What would you do with your time? Anybody. Absolutely anyone. So you don't got to (laughs) work. 
Um, I got to do something productive. Probably work on arts and crafts, mess around with music, mm. exercise more, sleep more. Mm. I'll sleep in. Cause I mean, I'm not like some people are wired that way. Like they, they're just morning people. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm a night owl. So mm. maybe you should get a night job. I cherish my, <laughs> my, uh, sleeping in times. Mm. So, so I've thought about this before. Yeah. And one of them is like, I would like to go like interview the homeless in different towns and like mm. feed them and actually break bread with them and hear their life stories. Yeah. Cause that intrigues me of what, got them to that point because a lot of times it's not drugs and alcohol it's they no. hit a bad passion in their life and stuff just went sour and they yeah. never had an opportunity to get back up or this would actually be fun too is get a bunch of strong guys from reses around here and travel to different reses and have competitions of like actually make a legal fight league from different reses yeah yeah oh yeah it's like a tough man thing yeah. like have a tournament fight bracket yeah let them fight each other. I would like to do that with street folks. <laughs> they, I think they, they did that. They, they, they call like bum fights. fights. <laughs> they let them fight for a bottle of whiskey or something. Bottle, like, bottle of cheap vodka. Like a hundred dollars of pizza and some cheap liquor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, entertainment is entertainment. <laughs> twenty bucks is twenty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That made me think. Those are pretty cool things that you guys are talking about. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, I think, like, if I had, like, yeah, financially secure, all that kind of stuff, um, one of the things I would like to do is, like, have or build, like, a basketball facility and run that, you know, with trainings and tournaments and games and, like, really kind of whoever those aspiring basketball players are, you know, creating a space for them to come and... um, like develop their skills and, you know, having the best kind of trainers around here to run that, and run their skills and all that kind of stuff. Like a permanent training camp? Yeah. And people could just come in and then, because I, I was really inspired. We went to Mesa this past June, or yeah, 2023 June, and they had 16 courts under one roof. And that was just the basketball side. And then they had like about 12 courts of volleyball. On the other side, and then outside of that, those two buildings, <clears throat> they had like a um, a little strip of restaurants, sports bars and stuff, and an arcade. And then outside of that kind of complex, they had like about seven softball fields, eight baseball fields, pickleball yeah. courts. I mean, this thing was massive. Like that whole space was probably just as big or bigger than Bellings downtown. It was huge. I mean, something like that where I could be around that kind of energy every day. Because when I'm at around that, like something I really love, like basketball, and around that atmosphere, it's just like so fulfilling for me. In that aspect, it's like self-care for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I love basketball, watching basketball, watching people get better. You know, so <clears throat> that would be one thing that I would do, definitely. I mean, like pro how, bono. Ri- how rich would are you talking about? Like Tony Stark rich? Yeah, definitely like Tony Stark Batman rich. Yeah. Oh, well, then I just make all that cool shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, it says you're independently wealthy. Independently wealthy. So that could mean, like, you could be a billionaire. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that, if that's the case, yeah, I'd just, I, I'd do things like that. Just build, like, go around and build positive things. Yeah. Like, why not? I go like, around I, and build hot dog factories everywhere. Hot dog factories. <laughs> Sacred wieners for everyone. <laughs> Sacred. Uh, let's see. You ever tried pickleball? Yeah, a long time ago, like in high school. Uh, it's not as easy as it looks. I know. But I'll play it when I'm 60 like everybody else. I don't even know what it is. It's like tennis with a whipple ball. Oh. Yeah. So it's just like giant ping pong? Yeah. Okay. What would your dream house be like? It would be made of glass. And I would walk around naked. Would you throw rocks? No, can't do that. That's rule number one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> dude, I'm so used to living in small spaces right now. I don't know if I would have a big house. If I did, I'd probably stay in one room. <laughs> yeah, you could like just put a bunch of tiny houses together and then stay in. Oh yeah, just kind of move camp every night. Yeah. yeah. And then just have like a different theme for every little tiny house. Yeah, a different wife in each one. <laughs> hey, little big man. <laughs> um, I mean, like, hey, we're talking. I don't know. Like, I couldn't get too crazy with it. Like, how you see on TVs with the marble staircase and just like fancy ass furniture that you don't even want. Don't even look comfortable to sit in. I, I would make my house like comfortable. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Big soft couches and chairs and. <clears throat> like um I definitely have to have a like a a big I don't even know if you can have a big screen like a <clears throat> not movie size but something that's big and like high definition and stuff. Yeah. Watch TV, sports, movies and shit. All you mm-hmm. need is nothing bigger than a 70 inch. Yeah. But, but I mean like if I'm going to go I'm going to go all out so so like a high definition like projector. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. I'd have to have one of those definitely a uh a room dedicated just to music, not just like listening to music, but like instruments and shit in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could be, but basically, it would just be one giant man cave with different rooms with different shit in there. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. But you then? Um, so just like a cabin up in the up in the mountains. It's mm-hmm. like has a couple solar panels. I can make my collect my own water, make my own food. Just mm-hmm. off the grid type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. I think that would <clears throat> simple. Yeah, no, I think I would be like something that would structurally sound. I could be there for centuries. You know, like it wouldn't erode away. So that would be the first thing. <clears throat> then, um, <clears throat> yeah, it would have to be some place where like that. It has different rooms with different things that happen in those rooms. Like a big old dining hall with a big table so like everybody could come and we could break bread together. Because I always see that yeah. like <clears throat> like those old school movies and I always thought that was so cool. Like they could all get all their friends and family together and have a big old meal and then their speeches and blah, blah, Like I always thought that was cool when I was a kid. I was just like, I can't remember. Think of a movie right now. But one comes to mind, one we're always talking about on here, coming to America. 
like his parents were sitting way at the end. He was way at the <laughs> other end, you know, like they, a big table like that. They can't even hear each other. Yeah, they have to use that little radio thing, <laughs> <laughs> like something like that. Uh, that's why I always like, especially around the holidays, like that's that's important to me to like get everybody sitting at the same table. Yeah, you know, so like, I mean, you came to the the. One we had here we had that big old long table and everybody sat at that. Like I set it that up specifically for that for everybody to sit at the same table. Yeah, that was really cool to see. Yeah. So like that, you know, that's part of my thing is like getting people together, having breaking bread, having a good time. Um, so that it definitely has to be a big ass dining hall. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, then different rooms there have to be definitely a basketball court in there. Full on like Stadium. Just in the other room. Go through that door and that's the stadium. Yeah, go give me some popcorn, soda pop, come back. I think, but really, it's just like, for me, it would probably come down to like the furniture. Like, is it comfortable to sit in? You know, right. kind of real, like feel really welcoming. No, mm. mine was just going to have fold out chairs. <laughs> just some uh, logs, some yeah. cut up logs so yep. you can sit on a stump. Yep. Simple. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> All right, last one. It says, what fictional family would you be a member of? Any fictional family. Hmm. The mm. Bat Family. What? The Bat Family. The Bat Family. Yeah. It's going to be Batman? Uh, probably like Nightwing or something. Okay. <laughs> like Robin? I'm Robin not, all I'm grown not cool up? cool enough to Bat, be a Batman. Batwing. Yeah. <laughs> Batgirl. <laughs> Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, I would look pretty dang good in those spandex. I ain't going to lie. I can see that. <laughs> well, uh, wing. What about you? Oh, man. What family would I want to be? Fictional? Yeah. Hmm. That's what I think that's what it said, right? Yeah. I would be Darth Vader's illegitimate son. What would your name be? And would you be able to use the force? Of course, because all the all those kids can use all these kids can use the force. I'd be one of them, and my name would be. I don't know. Um, help me out here. Uh, uh, I don't know. What would it be? There's Luke and Leia. Luke and Leia, and I would be. Leonard. Larry. Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard, the illegitimate son. <laughs> Leon. <laughs> Leon, and you're, you try to use the force, but it's all messed up. <laughs> yeah, you have to use the Schwartz. <laughs> May the Schwartz be with you. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. that. That's the first thing. Because, I mean, I, well, okay, I like the first three. First three that they ever made. Yeah. And then the, the ones after yeah, the original trilogy, but the ones after that are kind of okay. The last three were blah. I thought they were cool. I, I mean, like I, them. I mean, they're 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 okay, but yeah. compared to, I think it's because <clears throat> attached so much to them first three. Yeah, it's like nothing can compare to that, especially when you're a kid. You know. Yeah, true that. True that. I well, thought you, you probably had a f- special connection to Jar Jar Binks because you're tall and lanky like him. <laughs> and talk like <clears throat> talk like that. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, Phantom Menace is probably one of my favorite ones. I just because of that Darth Maul, I wish they had, I had more of him. Instead yeah. of cutting him in half? Yeah, like right away. 
Oh, in the comic, oh, in the comic books, he never really died after that. Like, oh yeah, then he has like the robot legs because yep. he comes back in the cartoons. Yep, Clone Wars, I think it is, and he fights uh, Obi Wan again. Yeah, and he has the a brother. Rematch. He has a brother. They go around and do stuff together. Yep, I've been watching the cartoons off and on. Hmm. There's a lot of storyline in those cartoons. There's like the books. There's the universe is so vast. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's so many fan books. Yeah, that people took as canon, but they're written by fans. Yep. And then that's why, like, when the the sequels, the prequels, they all came out, people were pissed because it didn't stick to any of the fan books. Yep. At all. Well, what really killed it for me is when they let that Princess Leia float around in space. I'm like, fuck. Right, she can use the force. Yeah. But really, though? She, yeah. She's strong. <clears throat> Man. She's okay. strong All right. force. Well, no, whatever. Remember when... See what happens when you give a, one of our beloved stories to fucking Mickey Mouse? <laughs> but they said her force powers were as... Equal to Luke's. Like she was supposed to be the original chosen one. Yeah. Because but that doesn't mean she gets to fly around in space and freeze and then not die. Yeah, it does. <laughs> she pre- she <laughs> preserved her life with the Force. Yeah. And? <laughs> so, yeah, that's what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like she's No. No flying around in space. Without it, like one of those suits or whatever. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> I think we can table that to another time. <laughs> yeah, Princess Leia, who she thinks she is. Um, she's a force user. Okay, she's my sister. I shouldn't talk about her like that. <laughs> yeah, come on, Leia. Hey, you never, <laughs> Leon. Leon, Leon Skywalker. Leon Skywalker here. <laughs> Special guest in the house. The illegitimate alcoholic son of Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> From some concubine. <laughs> some concubine. With one of Jabba the Hutt's concubines. With those weird things growing out of their head. <laughs> like a sofa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I was, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about this. I think like that family from Wonder Years. Because I used to love that show when I was a kid. Oh, they always yeah. made it seem like it was so fun back in the day. Like they had so much fun. It's kind of similar to the way I grew up, like riding bikes, getting into mischief, getting hurt. And so like I always liked that show. I think that family. Back before the internet, huh? Yep. Now I rode around on those banana seat bikes. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking back... Man, I wish I had a, a banana seat on my bike. Yeah. I don't know why. Look cool. It look, oh, yeah, well, it looked cool. And then remember they used to have those big old ape hangers? Yeah. yeah. Like a choppers? Yeah, like a chopper. Like a chopper. But that's an interesting take, though. I would have never thought Wonder Years. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's kind of cool. Kind of nostalgic. Yeah. Because I grew up watching TGIF. Ah, you used to watch that uh, yeah. on Friday nights? Yeah. All those sitcoms. Kind of didn't have a choice, yeah. really. True that, true that, growing up out in the country. Like two and a half channels? Yeah, two and a half, exactly. <laughs> it's like two and six would come in, but every once in a while eight would come in and then go back out and then come back in. Yeah, see, like ours was the opposite. We got six and eight, never got two. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know what I found out is um, one day I was walking around outside my grandma's house and I said, where's your antenna? She said, it's up there. She pointed, She went like this. She pointed up. Yeah. And so I went outside and I looked again and I was looking on, man, we didn't have one. And come to find out, she put it in the, I guess the, it's like a crawl space. Yeah. Above. Yeah. Like an attic, but it's not really an attic because you can't push it in there, but that's where she put it so nobody would steal it. <laughs> So I poked my head up in there, and sure enough, there was an antenna in there. So that's why we didn't get that channel eight that good. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. And as much as we tried to convince her to put it on a TV pole, she wouldn't. No, she wouldn't do it. She said somebody (laughs) was going to take it. You got to put it on a TV pole so you can go out there and turn it. Yeah, turn it. Turn it to the left. Right there, right there, right Right there. there. Hold it. And as soon as you let it go, it turns on its own again. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Else, how about did you ever have to get the those two antennas on top of the TV? Yep. The bunny ears. Did you yeah. Do that? Yeah. No, I never did that. We always just had to go turn the TP pole <laughs> with the antenna at the top. Yeah, done that too. <clears throat> right on, right on. All right, so you guys feeling warmed up? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right, so because of that <clears throat> Princess Leia thing. <laughs> All right, DJ, <laughs> if you're ready. Why don't you hit me with that beat? Ayo, let's get into our topic. Ayo, let's get into our topic. That's so dumb, though. I mean, in her stupid pose, too, like this. (laughs) Used to spend my nights out in the barroom. Liquor was the only love I know. Drives me to drink. I know. <laughs> that damn pose. <laughs> I don't know. JC was karaoke before we went on, so I just had to get a, had to get get a, a few ver- notes out had there. To get a verse in, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> Chris Stapleton. Mm. Ah. He's sacred, that guy. No. Gets all the aunties. All of them. Save some for us. Save I mean, some. save some for these guys, not me. <laughs> I'm spoken for. All right, so we are here. We're going to continue our tradition of the first episode of the month. We're going to switch back over to steps this year for 2024. Um, we did that in 2022, and then 23 we did traditions. So we're going back to steps, <clears throat> and I'm just going to read the step, and I'm give it a little reflection, and I'll open it up to you guys, and you guys run with it. So, and we got Randy's take on it. So here, after we get done with our little conversation, we're going to get Randy's take on it. And then we'll, we want to continue the conversation after that. We'll keep going. But all right, here we go. So step one, well, Bridie steps. And this <clears throat> one through three are part of facing the East, finding, find the creator, is the title of this group of steps. And numbers, step one is honesty. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that we had lost control of our lives. And I've shared my story on this where I was at Crystal Creek Lodge treatment facility in Browning, Montana, and they handed me the first step book. And I sat there and I read it. And I was just like, boom, my mind was blown. And I was like, that's what's wrong with me. I'm an alcoholic. And and then since that day, I openly admit 
refer to myself in meetings, in circles, as an addict. Because for me, identifying that way, there's liberty in that. Because for so long, I lied to myself that I didn't have a problem. Even though loved ones begged me to quit drinking, pleaded with me to quit drinking, and I cussed them out, and I'd hurt their feelings, I'd attack them verbally and tell them they were wrong. They didn't know what they were talking about for years. So for me to openly say, Hi, my name's Josiah Hugs, and I'm an addict. It's validation for those people in my eyes. It's validation for them that they were right. I was wrong. That I would, that they were telling the truth, and I was lying to myself all those years. I was lying to myself since the beginning. Since the first buzz, I think I knew I had a problem. Pretty sure I knew that I had a problem because I just wanted it more and more and more and more and more. And I did everything I could to construct a way so I could drink without getting caught. You know, from telling my parents I was going to go spend the night at a friend's house, but in doing so, That was the last step of me being able to drink that night. There was all these other steps where I got the money, got a buyer, got the booze, had the booze in my possession already that week of, and then finding somewhere where a friend, where their parents weren't going to be home, or we could go out, be outside, being away from people, for the entire evening <clears throat> and making sure that was all on set and then asking my parents, hey, can I go spend the night at these guys' house Saturday night or Friday? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. We'll come. Go ahead. Go. We'll come pick you up tomorrow or the next day or whatever. Or say, can I spend a weekend with these guys? Whatever. Going through all those motions just to drink. And to me now, looking back, hindsight, 2020, that's like, who does that? Who does that unless you got a problem with your drinking? You know, and other things. Then as an adult, running the numbers, my kid needs this, this, and this. Okay, I got enough money to pay for all this. And I'll have enough to buy a half a G and get messed up for a couple of days. Like, that's not normal. Yeah. That's not normal at all. And so, <clears throat> this right here, that, my, that I'm powerless over my addiction, over alcohol, and my life was out of control, that all encompasses that me freely admitting that I am an addict. That I do have a problem. Um, And I keep that fresh. This. That I am powerless against it. Because I am. I am if I don't. 
use my tools, if I don't deal and feel in a good way, I'll slip right back into that manipulation. I'll slip right back into that sabotage, which I have. In these eight years of walking the red road, I start slipping back into that. If I'm not using my tools and if I'm not dealing and feeling in a good way. Um, If I'm not journaling, if I'm not going to meetings, if I'm not talking to someone, if I'm not processing things with others, individuals, if I'm not doing that, man, I fall right back into my manipulation and self-sabotaging real fast. And so I got to stay on top of that because I am powerless against alcohol without, without God, without my tools, without my, without my walk on the red road, without my meetings, I am powerless against my addiction. So with that, you know, I'll just open it up to you guys, wherever you're at. Um, I think I, I mentioned a little bit about this, either the last episode or the one before that, but you know, talking to my therapist and saying that in order for denial to be denial, there has to be a legitimate shock when you're told about something, right? And so the way I thought of it when I was thinking, you know, kind of running running it through my own mind, I thought like, okay, so if I had a black X on my forehead, but I never seen it and you guys keep telling me, hey, you got an X on your forehead. And I'm like, no, I don't. That would be denial. But as soon as I look in the mirror and I see it, and I still say, no, I don't, then that's not denial anymore. That's just lying to yourself. And that's kind of how I thought of it. And I don't know at what point I realized, you know, I'm an alcoholic. It was an an addict. But it was way before I ever, you know, stopped. You know, before that, you know, um, before I ever made that decision to quit. But, like, kind of like what you were saying, like, I knew at some point I, I... Probably because, you know, I think part of it was, um, you know, it's been such a big problem in our communities, excuse me, that people are always talking about it. Like it's it's a subject that, you know, we've always heard about, you know, I'll get that person, that person drinks a lot, that one's, uh, you know, into drugs and and, and this and that. And, And that's why they do the things they do. Even when we were little, when I was a little kid, I heard things like that. So I think I kind of had an idea of what that was supposed to look like, but it's kind of totally different when you're inside and you're, you know, doing that behavior because that addiction is so, uh, like, it's like it was such a part of me. And, of course, I didn't want to let it go because, it, you know, it was one of those things that I used to self-medicate. It's one of those things I used to bring up self-esteem and self-worth and my self-image. Which is crazy because that, man, addiction is such a paradox. It's like I I drank to be more sociable, but I ended up isolating myself. You know, I drank to be, you know, um, to to feel better about myself. But, all, you know, my appearance and my, my, you know, everything about me just made me feel negative. So it, it's, it's so weird that the way that works out. But um, it was pretty obvious. I mean, there's some, there was obvious signs, obvious, you know, like the, the, the ending of relationships or the straining of relationships. Yeah. Um, of course my parents always telling me, you know, you need to stop, you need to, you know, you're, you're doing this. And then, and then of course they'd be mad at me. Like when I would steal money from them or go pawn one of their belongings or, you know, yeah. and, and man, what that like, 
like he said that that ain't normal mm-hmm. like to to an addict it is and we see other addicts doing that and we kind of laugh about it but you know what hey man you got you took your dad's chainsaw let's go pawn it and drink right, right? so it's like it's okay we make it okay because you know we have to get over those that guilt and shame so it's not like we're we're um getting rid of it like i wasn't getting rid of it i was just pushing it away i was stuffing it down and it was there i know it was like because when i finally made that decision to stop being destructive to myself and to my family and to my community then it all came back like everything came back so it's not like you know you're getting rid of it by using it's it's probably it's worse than that because it has to go somewhere and and if you don't if you're not dealing with it and and letting that process play out then it just builds up builds up builds up and i think that kind of added to my cycle of destruction right like doing more of the thing that caused me pain to quote unquote alleviate that pain and then it's just like this cycle like this freaking round and around and around on this merry-go-round and it was um so i think for me the the, one of the biggest things is the fact that i i wouldn't be honest with myself because then i would then that 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 makes that forces me to actually say that there is a problem and if there is a problem then duh i have to fix it right i didn't want to do that i wanted to keep doing what i thought was good for me and Man, the, the lies that I told myself and the and the the false beliefs that I had, those core beliefs, those things that are like I keep I keep saying this over and over, those things that are in your subconscious mind we're not even aware of. Yeah. Those those all came into play because I didn't wanna I didn't wanna lose that. For whatever reason. I mean like that that I think that's a whole can of worms in and of itself. But I think for what you know the subject we're talking about tonight is the fact that I did not want to be honest with myself. Cause there, like I said, there was a point where, yeah, I knew what I was doing was messed up. Um, and it was destructive and it was hurtful to myself and to my family, but I didn't want to lose any of that because I mean, I was an addict. I mean, that's, that's just the, the, the simple answer to that. That little paradox was that I was an addict, so I did what addicts do. And as we all know, that's that it's never positive. It's never there's never anything good that comes to it. Comes comes from that. And so and then of course there's always, like I said, that whole idea of where there's all that guilt and shame and, and remorse and you know, those those negative feelings go. They don't go away. So should I ever decide to stop, then I have to deal with all that. And I was afraid of that because I didn't like the way it felt. Like I I, di- I just did not want to deal with it. And um, to me, that was one of the, <clears throat> one of the biggest indicators that I mean, I guess it would be in hindsight because I was in such, you know, la-la land that I didn't want to admit it. But in hindsight, I think that was one of the biggest indicators of the fact that I was powerless. Because why would I choose to do something 
destructive to make myself feel better when all that destruction just causes me pain. Like that sentence didn't even make sense, but that's exactly what I was doing. And so that that to me is just, it's the, that was the thing that, I mean, especially looking back now, is is the one that um, uh, finally got me to say, okay, that's enough. Like you, you, that that you're the one that's doing this. I'm the one that's uh, um, causing all this because of my choice to keep on using, and that's what it was. Like I think for me, when I took that using out of the equation and then I had to start dealing with all the trash that I left behind um it wasn't easy but at the same time without those substances there then that's that's the only choice I had if I wanted to truly be at peace so yeah I mean even now today like I have no problem you know telling people oh yeah I was drinking for 27 years straight. Mm. So, um, and I got no shame in that. Like, I'm not especially proud of the things that I did, but you know what? Like, that's not who I am today. So I have no problem about with, with, with telling people that. Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, I was sitting there when Josiah told me what we were going to be talking about, thinking about at what point did I admit to myself that I had no control over alcohol. And, like, I'm sitting there. I remember when I was, I want to say around 16 when my dad sat me down and he was like, hey, you have a problem. I want to tell you what you are, but that's something you have to come to grips to yourself. And there's nothing I can do about it. I have to sit back and watch you do this to yourself. And he knew Mm. for a fact that I was an alcoholic because of my drinking pattern. And, and even then, like it didn't dawn on me when I was started drinking in the morning to justify going to work because the shakes and the pain was so great. Like even that, I I could, I, I didn't want to admit that I was powerless. Like, who wants to be like, oh, I'm powerless. This thing controls me. No, I wanted to control the situation. Yeah. So yeah. I tell myself I would lie to myself every day. Tomorrow will be the day I quit. I just have to get through today. And that's something similar we do in this program. Like, mm-hmm. I just have to worry about today. And that's how I drank. I just have to worry about today. Then I would worry about the drink tomorrow. Mm. And even then, shoot, I don't even like to admit this a lot, but sleeping with women to get my alcohol, like even when I was doing that, like I justified that because, hey, it was another drink. I still... I I was in control of that because I allowed myself to do that, but yet that's what the alcohol that's what the drink drove me to do, mm. and it's it's wild to think about the justification that I allowed myself to. I manipulated myself so much that I thought, yeah, I was in control. 
when my wife was leaving, I was dying, living in my car, and I was still saying, yeah, I, I, I'm in control. Then mm. I remember just one day I, I woke up, and I was shivering cold, didn't know what to do, reached out to somebody, and I went to my first AA meeting. And I sat down, and, like, this room was packed. Um, I, I, I think there was around 50 people. And I was sitting there shaking like a leaf. And everybody was telling my story, like, then I don't know what went over myself, and I raised my hand and said, hey, my name's Craig, and I'm an alcoholic. Mm. And right then, right when I said that, something hit me in my heart, and the tears just started coming from my face. And I knew that I was around people that truly cared and wanted the best for me. Mm. And I think it's easier to admit to myself that I am an alcoholic than then I do not have control over my life because I have been to the point where sober, where my life has become unmanageable to a point where I want to take my own life, but yet I'm too hard headed to be like, Hey, you should probably reach out to somebody and get some help. But I know my life is unmanageable unless I have a higher power and a program in my life in order to, like, there's two parts of that. The first step, right? Mm-hmm. You have to admit to yourself that you're powerless over the alcohol. Then you have to admit to yourself you have no control over your life. Yep. And you have to make two decisions right then, and it it, it took a while. It took a while, even in sobriety, to fully admit that I was powerless and that I needed somebody, something stronger than me. And I'm so grateful that I finally got over that. I remember when I, when I called you, when I got mm-hmm. out of jail, Yeah, remember? And I was sitting there talking to you about how my life became unmanageable and I needed help that, that I started praying a lot more and just giving it over and just asking for guidance. And I think you said something about that warms my heart because I truly know that you are ready to get to that fourth step. Yeah. Because I was right then and there, I I was working the steps and I didn't even know it. And like, I'm so glad I'm, we're the lucky ones that we have come to grips to that first step. Mm. And yeah, I, I'm proud of that too. Like I'm proud to say that I was an alcoholic for 14 years and what it drove me to because I know the life that we lived and I know that we're able to relate to other people that have struggled as much as we are and we can give them a glimpse of hope of that we do recover and it is okay to admit that we were powerless over this substance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. <clears throat> that's <clears throat> that's crazy though. Like, man, it's because I, I there's these these two things, I guess, opposing forces, right? Like, 
admitting that you're powerless over alcohol and then, you know, your life is unmanageable. And then on the other side, you know, you're saying, I'm in control, I'm in control. But if you're in control, you have to take responsibility of what you're doing. Yeah. But you don't want to do that because you want to keep using it. And then, like I said, man, that's just, ah, it's just a freaking cycle. Yeah, definitely. And I think as you were, as both of you guys were talking, it started me thinking about <clears throat> why I've shared on here, like when I got to detox and treatment, like the rehabilitation tech started talking about, <clears throat> just talking about their daily lives, like what they did. Like get up, you know, shower, have some coffee, breakfast, go to work, go home, have dinner, hit a meeting, go home, watch some TV, go to bed. Like so, that was so, that was so like enticing to me, man. I was like, I want that. It was just like a real simple thing. Yeah. You know, just like simple thing what normal people do. But my life was so out of control, I couldn't do that. I mean, I was so fixated on the drink. That I couldn't do what they were doing, but it was just a very simple thing. And that really, like as you guys were talking, it was just like, wow, man, that's how how out of control my life was. Like, I couldn't do what they were doing. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I'll, I'll get new guys into the sober living house, and they'll see me wake up, get ready for work, go to work, and they see that I have a car. Mm-hmm. They see that I have, like, spendable money. And I'm living a decent like life, even though I'm still in the sober living house. I'm living a life that they wish they could have. Yeah. And I take that for granted sometimes. Oh, for sure. Like, <laughs> I've like that's why I love the holidays because when I'm feeling depressed, I write that gratitude list, and that gratitude list gets me back to the basics of, man, I have it really good. Like, I'm not on the streets anymore. Mm-hmm. I have food. I have people that actually want to be around me. I got invited to four different places to be on Christmas. Nice. And I never had that drinking. Everybody was like, hey, stay at your house. (laughs) Don't come around. (laughs) Don't come around. Because they knew I was going to get drunk, start wiling out, and probably try to fight somebody. (laughs) And I would justify that because, oh, they were talking crap. (laughs) Didn't give me what I wanted for Christmas. It gave me coal. They're talking crap about baby Jesus. <laughs> I had to back him up. Trying to say Santa wasn't real. <laughs> um, do you guys, I'll throw it back to both of you guys here. Um, just like some, another thing on another point that you wanted to make about step one. And then we'll jump into Randy's recording. <laughs> I was I I was thinking of something, but now it, it escaped my mind because I started talking about Santa Claus. But um, <laughs> that damn Princess Leia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, okay. So going back to what uh, Craig was saying, it's like you know, people people that are still in addiction or they're just starting out, and they see us and and how we conduct ourselves and what we do on our daily lives. You know, like you said, like, man, I, I wanted to do these simple things, but I couldn't do it. And and I couldn't either. Like, I was far from getting up, you know, holding a job for more than a couple of months at a time. Like, I couldn't do that. And um, so, when you know, I guess going out to the people that are still using or, you know, just now starting out, like, it seems like it's easy. Um. But, you know, we're still humans. I mean, I'm still a human being. 
but now <clears throat> it's that the, the only difference between then and now is that when I run into just little everyday, I mean, they don't even have to be big issues, really. But my addictive mind always wants to blow them out of proportion and then catastrophize and then, you know, like my conspiracy theories and all that stuff that just wants to take off. But then I realized, too, like that whole gratitude thing, like, man, I'm all right. I'm okay. And and, and to get the message out there that, you know, it, like I don't have to, I don't have to say, well, things aren't going my way. Might as well give up. Let's go drink. Like I don't have to say that. I get to have alternatives. I get to have um, uh, people to reach out to. And that to me is probably one of the biggest things is, you know, knowing that you don't walk alone, right? Like yeah. you, because you, Craig already said it and we've said it probably a thousand times on this podcast. We go to these meetings and we hear people talk and they're telling us our story. Yep. So like to think that I'm unique in some way, or that I'm special and that nobody would understand. Yeah. Like that's another lie that we tell ourselves. I mean, to me that, that wasn't, that was something that I told myself. So, you know, to offer that hope, like, right. Like to, to say, well, you can have this too. Cause I mean, look at what Josiah said. He couldn't go to work and then eat dinner and then go to a meeting and then go home and watch a little TV and go to bed. Like that almost seemed impossible to all of us mm-hmm. and yet here we are and that's what we do yep. i mean there's a lot of stuff in between and not to make life sound boring just because you sobered up it's the opposite of that like i enjoy things more now yeah because i'm present yeah right like i'm actually present like i, I was uh karaokeing in here I, I was doing that with my daughter a couple weeks back and it was just me and her and we were having a good time we were just singing songs started fighting over the microphone even. Yeah. And that I was present. Whereas before I probably would have did the same thing with her, but I would have been shit faced and I wouldn't have been here. Yeah. In 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 a in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like I enjoy things and then, you know, to that gratitude also helps you realize like those simple things. Like they seem like they're simple, like socks. You talked about socks. Like to really okay, why why is that so it's such a big thing because of the alternative. What would that mean if I didn't have, if I was wearing dirty socks right now? Mm-hmm. It means I didn't give a shit about myself. It means I was out drinking for a week, wearing the same clothes. Don't even care. Same undies. Same undies. Don't even care. If you're even wearing undies. <clears throat> but if they hadn't, <laughs> hadn't forgot them somewhere, yeah. somewhere down the line. And she took it as a trophy. You know how many boxer shorts I lost in my lifetime? <laughs> okay, I'll, I won't go there. But yeah, so <laughs> the whole that whole thing, right? Like that whole gratitude thing has been huge for me lately, and I'm glad you mentioned it. And um, that if if anybody gets anything out of this from me, it's the fact that you know when I took what Craig and Josiah both said is the fact that. That old cliche, those old cliches, if I can do it, you can do it. No, we can do it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, we, like, I'm I'm not special. I wasn't, like, the worst person on the world, in the world. I wasn't, I'm not proud of the things that I did, like I said. But at the same time, it's like, I know that there are people out there who have made this work. 
And then, you know, they're willing to walk with you, not for you, not do anything for you, but to walk with you. And I think that's important for people to hear. Hmm. So with me, like I, you, you hear it in every room, but it, the first step is like a daily reprieve. I have to remind myself because I'm hard headed. Like I said, I have to remind myself every morning that I am powerless over this substance because I'm so fast to forget on where it, this has taken me. And I forget about the what I have done in the past and my mind starts saying, oh, you can have that one. Mm. But I know for a fact if I have that one, I'll have a dozen, then I'll be exactly right back to to that hopeless drunk. But if I remind myself every morning that, hey, you're powerless over alcohol and any other substance that you can't put it in your body and you don't have control over your life, that allows me the opportunity to allow my higher power to join me for that day. That, hey, I ask God, use me as the tool that you have designed me to be and walk with me today. And I say thank you, and I start start my day, and I get that opportunity to do that, and like, yeah, Josiah identifies himself as an addict, but the reason why I identify myself as an alcoholic because that was the first program that I walked into that said, "Hey, I'm a, I'm an alcoholic," and everybody basically surrounded themselves near me i mean around me and that itself when i raised my hand that first time saved my life and i didn't even know it and that's mm. the program that saved my life and that's the reason why i identify as an alcoholic even though the drink will take me to so many other substances mm-hmm. but as as long as i'm willing if i have the willingness in the morning to admit to myself that i am powerless and have no control I have a fighting chance for that day. Ahoo, ahoo. And with that, <clears throat> thank you guys for sharing, man. That was powerful. All you guys, what you shared. And with that, we'll go over to Randy's recording. You recorded earlier yesterday. What's up, guys? We're here in episode 167, step one. I'm here with the pod, Gotti, and he's got to hit the road in the morning. So we're here on a Wednesday recording his piece on step one and just his reflection. So I'm going to throw it over to you and then we'll just have a conversation. Pod Gotti. Take it away. Hey, thank you. Thank you, man. It's a, uh, it's a little weird being, being in here just with two people, I know. but I was thinking about like step one. And, and I think what I really came up with was like finding the creator, right? Like finding that relationship with the creator. And, and I'm reminded of the, the saying that we, that's on our shirts. It says the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. And I started thinking about it. And, and even in the process of like writing a book that I'm writing, like, man, I remember waking up that afternoon in jail. I just got arrested. 
that morning on Montana Avenue, like I was walking to my cousin's house. I didn't even make it there. I made it. Montana <laughs> Avenue, <huh? laughs> Yeah, bro, because I, I ran into my uncle, and he he's a street person, and, and I didn't hang out out there like that. But yeah, yeah. I was on my way somewhere, and I got sidetracked because they had two bottles, and I was freaking hungover. Mm, mm, and mm, it mm. was one of those drunks, like, where, <clears throat> you know, I was coming down off the meth, um, just got a little bit of sleep. I woke up on the couch. The person's house that I was staying at was like, I don't know what you're going to do. This is the place that I always used to run to, used yeah. to go party at. And he was like, man, I don't know what you're going to do, but you can't stay here and drink. Yeah. And for him to say that to me, bro, like was yeah. like demoralizing. It was crushing. It was like your last place, like your only, your last net. Yeah, that yeah. was like my place of refuge. Is like, man, I could get kicked out of everywhere else, man. Mm-hmm. But my bro would always let me stay there in a the basement. Yeah. Uh, but he was going through something at the time, and he was like, I don't know what you're going to do, but you can't stay here, Randy. <laughs> man, I'm like, dog, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, I just left home on the reservation at the time. I was living down there, um, left with nothing, and I was making my way to my cousin's house, and I got sidetracked at the park. Long story short, we had two bottles of vodka, ended up uh, getting my name run by the downtown officers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, and was ultimately thrown in. But I remember waking up that morning in the cell or that afternoon in the cell, um, hung over. I looked up. The guy that was in there was was hung over. And man, just that institutional smell like. Mm smells like piss it's freaking cold it's you know what i mean like it it just yeah it's like feeling of hopelessness too. yeah yeah and i remember coming to the end of myself but i'm like man like i gotta like i remember the thought coming in my head like it's gotta stop now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i was like like even reflecting at the time like man that was the lowest that i'd ever been because mm. i remember i was like man i can't believe like that morning my thoughts were like man i'm really out here like Walking down here, like, even though I'm not, like, I was trying to hide because I still had, like, a sense of, like, pride and stuff, you know, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. trying to hide, like, people. And then I remember walking down here on Broadway, and I looked, and one of my aunts drove by. <laughs> and, you know, she, that's not a person that I wanted to see me out there. Yeah. And she just, like, looked. Rubberneck. Huh? Bro, like, right here. And I'm like. Dog, I'm gonna hear about it. This last person I want to know, like you know what I mean, yeah. like, and uh, yeah, I remember just feeling that that shame mm. and everything associated with it. I was like, man, like I know that there's more to life than you know, getting high and drinking. And and when I was thinking of it, I was like, man, like God, I really need help. Mm. And you think about like the first step, right? AA is like uh, powerlessness. Like yeah. you, you, you come to the end of yourself and, and really at the end of the day, like we're powerless to our addiction. Yep. And at that time, like the reality hit me like, man, I was really powerless to my drug and alcohol consumption mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. at that stage in my addiction, if I wasn't drunk, I was high. And if I wasn't high, I was drunk. Yep. And even before that, the reason why I came back to town and, and stayed at my friend's house was because I was living on the reservation at the time. Um, was going through a divorce at the time and the way that I chose to cope with life at that time yeah was through my addiction yeah and I remember like being scared to go to sleep yeah like I can still remember that feeling of like 
showing up to this house that my family was at. And then, man, there's nothing. And it's empty. And it's like the couch is there. The TV's there. My clothes, like, everything's there. But it was like I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's like I knew that I was at the end of what I knew as life back then. But then I also knew that I couldn't stay stuck there. And then I ultimately got thrown in. And it's funny, like, how God answers prayers because it caused me to reach back out that morning. I remember, like, God, you got to help. And I didn't realize, like, the way that I was going to be helped was getting <laughs> arrested right away, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then waking up in that institution being like, damn, like, something's really got to change because it sucks in here. The headache's kicking in. The freaking smells are freaking 10 times more potent than they usually are. And I started praying. And I didn't really know what was going to happen. It was my first time violating. I'm like, man, my PO is going to be pissed. I lost everything, like, just a sob, sob story. Yeah. Um, but it was also time for me to be honest with myself. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. when I look back, like, man, like, I really had to realize how far my addiction took me. And, and realize, like, man, there needed to be a different strategy in how I dealt with what was coming at me at the time. Yeah. Being on probation, losing my family, like losing everything that I thought I loved at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. And I just, <clears throat> I remember that time too, man. I try to keep that fresh as far as, you know, that kind of that last stint before I came to the realization that I, that I had, that I was powerless against alcohol and I had lost control of my life. But I remember after I, finally admitted that there was like a kind of a euphoria after that where it's like yeah this is what's wrong with me i'm an alcoholic you kind of remember that time like and then you're like then from there you're like hell bent on getting help you're like i need help you kind of walk us through that part i think like <clears throat> initially like man i was like man i need help i need to help myself I need to start using uh, the resources. And I remember, like, we started a Bible study, like, almost immediately upon entering um, into North 3 at the time. And I joined every AA that came in. Mm -hmm. I went to every Bible study that came in. Mm. Um, at the time, like, I didn't really know what I was doing. And, and one of my homies was in there, and, and we both were went to set free together. Yeah. And we both came back and fell into addiction, like, mm. and it was right there. Like, we, no, 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 actually, he didn't go to set free with me. What we did was we started a jail ministry at the time. Mm. And I would walk from Wyola. At the time, I didn't have a car, didn't have a job, was coming out of addiction. I didn't have a car, but, man, I would leave my house on Saturday morning mm. about 7 to make it to a 9 o'clock Bible study in Crow. Mm. Which is like what twenty one miles from Lotsgrass. Harden is thirteen miles from, or no, not Harden, but Wyola is thirteen miles from Lotsgrass. So that was thirty four miles one way. Yeah, I would hitchhike. I would walk until somebody picked me up. Yeah, go minister, go go teach Bible study, um, and then hitchhike back in the afternoon. Mm. But that was my life on Saturday mornings, and and and. We started doing that together. Uh, Set free is the one that connected us. And we, we started doing that, and then I, I lost track of him. He fell back into addiction. I fell back into addiction. And then we meet again in North 3, and mm -hmm. he's in there, and he's one of the first guys. He's like, man, Randy, what's up, man? You remember me? I'm <laughs> like, damn, yeah, for real. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, We started a, a, a Bible study, and then 
we just signed up for everything and at first like i would go through go through with them and 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 we would we kind of encouraged each other and it was like man it, i was thankful to have a brother who suffered from the same addictions that i did yeah and we kind of helped each other and, and i remember like being ridiculed i remember all the people in there were like you guys got that jailhouse faith going, you know, and, and something that you call Foxhole Prayers, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we started a Bible study, and then I also remember having a, a conversation with my mentor at the time, and, and he was like, man, like, this isn't really a time for you to minister. Mm. He's like, now's a time for you to sit back and really think about the choices that you're making. Mm. And he gave me the scripture, Psalm 119, and, and it's the longest psalm in the book. But in there, it says, wherewithal shall a young man change his ways? Mm. And then it goes on, the writer goes on to say, by taking heed according to the word of God. Mm. And it was there that I remembered, like, the walk that I began, but really didn't have any strength on myself, uh, uh, any strength in my life to really stand upon. Yeah. But then also utilizing um, the AA and the NA meetings that would come in at, the, at that time, they were about two or three times a week. You know, and it was a way to get out of our sales, Mm -hmm. but it was also a way to strengthen ourselves. And I went in there with the mindset, like, man, like I really got to change. Like Mm -hmm. I can't keep doing the same thing. I can't, you know, go to prison. And that's where, you know, the conversations happened with, with the people that were locked up going for long sentences and stuff. And everybody knew that I wasn't, you know, wasn't uh, meant to be locked up, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't. You weren't prison material. Yeah, bro. Like, you know, I'm smiling at everybody, praying with everybody, like teaching. Like it came to the point of like, man, like the Bible, the Bible teachers would come in and then it got to the point where this young man would be like, man, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be the one preaching. Mm. Let's hear from Randy and everybody yeah. in a pod, like on Wednesdays and Sundays, they would come in and be like, well, what does Randy have to say? Not that, not elevating myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was there. I started understanding the call on my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that time, like I was shy, but I always had like these things would bubble up inside me, bro. Like, yeah, but it was like, man, the more that I read, the more that I went to AA, the more that I like really was honest with myself and, and how weak I was against the addiction that we, we were, we all fight. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I started to see call of God on my life and man, like I would pray with people and and really see miracles. There was this one young man who signed like eight, eight, nine, I think it was a 10 year sentence. And we prayed that morning and it was a sentencing day and and prayed with them. And man, he went back and he came back and he was just jumping for joy. And the judge cut his sentence in half. And he was released that day. The deal that he signed uh, uh, was for him to go to go to prison. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it was a deal for him to go to prison. But we prayed not saying, you know, the prayer happened because of me. But, you know, the Bible also says that where one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. And I started seeing God move like all these miracles. But I also knew that miracles, signs and wonders aren't enough. Ultimately, what keeps us fruitful in our relationship with the creator is feeding that relationship on a daily basis. We basically have to become that tree that's planted next to the river. Mm. We don't see the growth, but every storm and everything that we face, we endure. And that's where true growth remains. When things are tough, when everything that we've relied on, when everything that we used to depend on as a crutch 
um, or, or as a way to weather the storm is removed. Yep. Right. And, and, and I'm reminded of Deuteronomy eight and two, when he says, I led you into the wilderness to humble you, to teach you and to prove you to see where your heart's at, would you follow my commandments or not? Yeah. And, it, and being in jail at the time, like it really felt like a wilderness. It really felt like everything that, that I believed God for at that time was being stripped away. Mm. The support system that I had, the people that I relied on weren't answering the phone calls. Nobody was coming to visit me. My mom couldn't come and visit me every visiting day. Nobody was dropping money on my books. As a matter of fact, there was only two people at the time that really made it known that they were there for me. And it was my mentor and it was my brother. Mm -hmm. And had it not been for those two, I don't think I would be where I am today. Mm. But it started, man, it started by being honest with myself and saying, man, I'm tired of being a drug addict. I'm tired of being an alcoholic. Like, I'm tired of hurting. Yeah. And probably even more importantly, I'm tired of hurting other people. Yep. Because, you know, and and I think I'm reminded of it more and more today is like hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And it's still like nine, almost nine years later. um, I know it's been nine years since my overdose, but like, Almost nine years to my sobriety date, years later, almost a whole decade in, and I'm still walking through that hurt people, hurt people thing. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to be a person who discourages people from getting on the right track. Yeah. Even if they continue to slip up, even if whatever the case may be, like, I always want to be that person that's like, man, I'm I'm sorry, man, that happened to you. I'm sorry you're going through that. But, man, you can also try to come back for another day. Yeah. You know, which is, is kind of like the model for my life now. Like, it's so easy to point the dirt out in people's lives, but what's a little bit harder is pulling the treasure out of each person. True that. True that. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that, um, oh, that was really good. And... I kind of wanted to fast forward and get your take on, you know, cause you worked on the streets. I worked on the streets with trying to help that population out. Um, and seeing like individuals like operating in that delusion that everything's all right. I'm only doing this to myself. Like kind of that delusion that when I mean, we all operated in that, but like seeing them operating in that until they've hit the streets and still that's not a wake up call for them. Like, kind of like your reflection on that just seeing that day in day out and trying to trying to get to them but not really having any success but like just kind of like let's talk about that your work on the streets man i think like the most important thing for me back you know in my time out there is is and then also going doing as much streets like yeah. bro like i remind how much i missed it yeah, yeah, yeah like that's really my passion right like i, yeah. I, I want to my prayer when when i left uh my pastoral uh intern position was like god give me the ones that nobody wants Mm -hmm. and i think like i don't need a job title or anything for me to be out there and love on the community sure you know like seeing Mm -hmm. these people out there and and almost kind of like a trauma-informed care stance right like yeah 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 being mindful of where they came from uh seeing the hardships that they fought through to be there but also reminding them like yo like Every time I come across them, like, hey, man, it sucks to see you out here. Yeah. You're not just affecting yourself, but also finding ways to deliver the truth to them. Mm-hmm. 
in a compassionate way. Yeah. Because ultimately, like, what I found out is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yep. I know that's kind of cliche, but, like, I found it true in my time out there. Yeah. Like, I still get people who stop me and ask me to pray with them. Or they stop me and just dap me up. Yeah. Or give me a hug. Like, I have never... All right, Podgatti, you were talking about how establishing relationship to be more effective. You want to expound on that and close out on that? And I guess, like, what I was trying to say was, like, man, like, everybody is valuable. Everybody is loved, right? Like, even when we don't feel like it at times. And But the only way that we can be effective or we can increase our effectiveness in reaching that population is by building relationship and rapport with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, not letting them um, go by without letting them know that you care, that you're there for them. Yeah. And I'm reminded of one client where he got tired of me asking him, and 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 I I I read the room when I walked walked by, and and I just told him, I said, "Man, I'm just going to ask you every day. Is today the day?" And he goes, "Okay." Also, being mindful of what they wanted. Yeah. You know, like if I was overstepping my boundaries, but also it got to the point where I would say, like, is today the day? Is today the day? Long story short, one day, I think it was last year when I went to Kansas City. Yeah. And while I was over there, I got a call from my coworker at the time, and she was like, guess what? So-and-so mm. came in today. <laughs> right on, right on. So when I came back, and the following week when I went back to work, like he was there and yeah. I did not recognize this man because he was cleaned up, had clean clothes. Not that he was super dirty, but like, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, they look rugged out there. Yeah, man. looking rugged with the alcohol use and, and all that. And, and mm-hmm. man, he was just a completely different man. And, and talking with him and, and um, realizing like, hey, man, you do have gifts. You do have treasure inside you. And, and I feel like that was the best part of my job yeah. out there was mm-hmm. finding that gold within each person's life. Yes, sir. Yeah. No, I know. Um, I call it like planting seeds and then watering them. It's kind of how I looked at it when I was out there, especially with those ones that, you know, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to la, la, la. So I, I just sit down with them and I say, can I tell you my story? Like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And so I tell them, like, I just give them my, you know, my, my recovery story, tell them my testimony and like Cliff Notes version, you know, talk to them for about 20 minutes about it. And then it's like what you did, like you go up and say, it's today, today. I'd be, I'd say something similar. I'd be like, what's up? You ready for some recovery now? You ready for that red road? Yeah. You know, just kind of water that seed. And like, so remember I, I talked about, man, I used to be like you, man. I said, the only difference was that I had an apartment and I had a job. But other than that, man, I was the exact same situation as you, man. I was drinking a half a G every day, hopeless. Yeah. You know, and um, just water that seed. Yeah. Know? And I was always like, they seen me coming. And did you get to that point where, they see you coming and they duck through alleys or turn around and go the other yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I always thought that was funny because yeah. it'd be like we pop by on the bikes, you know? Yeah. And then they'd see us and then, man, they all of a sudden be like, oh, where'd they go? Like, <laughs> dog, they disappear. Yeah. Well, they ninja vanish. <laughs> like, dang, man, I didn't know they could move that fast. Yeah, I know. I remember that back being out there, like, um, I just used to cruise the alleys back here, down here in downtown Billings. Man, at one time I came up on a group, man, there's probably about six, seven of them. Man, they were drunk. They're 
they just now cracked a half a G too. Yeah. Man, I slammed on my brakes and I just stood there and looked at them. They're like trying to hide it. <laughs> and they're all drunk. And then here I said, man, come on. That's all I said. I yeah. Said, come on, man. And then they're just like all got up. We're like, my bad, my bad. Just like all headed out. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that was, those were always, I mean, and then later on, you know, like, oh, man, sorry, man. You know, trying to apologize to me. I said, no, man, don't apologize to me, man. I said, just start getting help. Yeah. So that's why I'm here, man. I said, utilize me. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I'm ready. <laughs> no, there's, um, <clears throat> but yeah, man. That was like one of the biggest things that I, I mean, these were just, I mean, they're just people. Yeah. You know, they're just people out there on the street and operating that delusion. And I recognized it right away my first day out there. I was like, oh, that's where they're at. They're in that, they're in that stage where they feel like they're not hurting anybody. They're just doing this to themselves. Everything's all right. Yeah. You know, they don't realize the trail of destruction. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I think that's the biggest piece in that when you're trying to, help someone come to that realization that, you know, their life is out of control, that they're powerless to their addiction, their life has gotten out of control. It's really, you know, that relationship piece, you know, trying to connect with them on some level, whatever it is, you know. Um, a lot of times I just go sit with them at St. Vincent de Paul. Yeah. You know, as they're eating and I get a, I get some food, I get some soup. I sit at a table with them and eat and Towards the end, before I left, it was I wouldn't even say anything. I just sit down, and eat with them, and then they'd start asking questions. Yeah, you know, oh, can I get into sober living, or you know, what treatments available? And um, it was just that presence, you know. Can you go? Can yeah. Can I go? Yeah. yeah. Or they're like, oh, are you still doing talking circles? You know, can I come? You know. Yeah. I'm like yeah, I'm for sure. Man, come on over. Yeah, no, that that's cool, man. But um, so just to close this out, what um, like you know. Someone's on, you know, kind of like on that fence, whether deciding if they had a problem or not, what would you say to them? I would say if you have that thought, if it's a problem or not, you you most likely do. Yeah. Um, just maybe people are scared to tell you that it's a problem. Yeah. Or maybe you're afraid of confronting that problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I think a lot of times, like myself, when I was in that position, I was scared of admitting that I did have a problem. yeah. But like you said earlier, like when, when I realized like I needed help, it was almost like a sigh of relief. Yeah. Like, man, now I can finally <sighs> quit lying to myself. Yeah. Now I know, um, like for you, you're, you're one of those, you're, you're an individual that doesn't like to say I'm an alcoholic or addict, like openly or like continuously. Am I correct on that piece? Um, where, you know, you're kind of more. I know there's some individuals that won't even say it. You know, they're like, I'm in recovery. You know, they'll announce themselves like that. And I just kind of wanted to get that perspective from you because I think some people are confused by that. Where, like myself, I openly say I'm an addict yeah. to anybody uh, because that's part of that step one for me, admitting, because that was so liberating for me. I openly say that. You yeah. Know? And I know that some people don't. No, I can see that. It's like uh, almost having the keys to the jail cell, right? Like yeah, yeah, saying, yeah. hey, it's almost like, hey, I do have a problem. And being able to breathe a sigh of relief, it kind of frees you, uh, people up. I think like for me, the way that I view it is like Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says that we're a new creature. We're a new mm -hmm. creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Mm -hmm. And if the old has passed away, then I no longer 
have that addiction. Mm, yeah. I'm not addictive, right? But we're human and we're addictive by nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's up to me to maintain that deliverance. Like yeah. I've, I, I prayed, I got delivered. Now I got to mow the grass. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's kind of how I view it. It's like, I don't have a problem saying I, I battled drug addiction. I battled alcoholism, but also it's, it's ultimately up to me like to stay clear of that addiction now. Yeah. So to call yourself an addict alcoholic is almost like condemning yourself. Not necessarily. Okay. I I don't think it's bad, but it's also like, it's also, I I think like a self image thing, right? Like I'm not going to call myself a degrading thing. It's almost like looking at addiction, like we look at people who are battling, you know, sicknesses and, and, and viruses and we're like, man, like that person is strong. That person is a fighter. They're a warrior. But when mm. it comes to addiction, it's that stigma and we have these, you know, things. And it's like, man, I like kind of like, man, I am a warrior. Yeah, I overcame yeah. that addiction, man. I beat that addiction. I'm yeah. a champion. And I think even going back to the, the street work, it's like trying to get addicts and alcoholics to see that they have a champion inside of them yep. because they don't take no for an answer. Right. True. Um, so I try to have that perspective. So it's almost not like a condemning myself. I don't think as long as a person has breath in their life, I feel like there's always a chance for redemption. True that. True that. True um, that. so I don't, yeah, I don't believe in that necessarily. It's just, I choose not to call myself that. Yeah. Right Maybe. on. Yeah. yeah, no. And I, I mean, to each his own. Yeah. To me, for me, you know, I mean, I openly say it, but if someone else has a different perspective, if that keeps them sober, whatever they choose to call themselves and this walk on this red road and recovery, cool. You know, for me, you know, it's just like, that's you, that keeps you sober, cool. Do yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah, ultimately, man, we're here to build bridges, bro. Heck yeah. You know, like, I, and I think that's the, that's the thing, it's like, it's enough of the this program's better than that program. It's like, man, why can't we come together, sit at the table, and have a meal together? For real, for real. And take the strength that each program offers. Yeah, let's come together, have bologna sandwiches and mm. chips. That might work mm-hmm. for you, but that ain't going to work for this person down the street, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And many pathways to recovery, and I think, like, we take that approach. I think we all win. Yeah. So, yeah. True that, true that, true that, true that. All right, do you have any, um, you want to give a shout out to the listeners or anything? I love you guys, each and every <laughs> one of you. <laughs> no, man, thank you guys for listening, man. Love my brothers right here, JC and Josiah. I'm sorry I can't be here today, um, but I'm also looking forward to listening to this tomorrow, which is today now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, and uh, yo, good luck to the champ and all the boxers from the. Elite Amateur Boxing. Yes, Billings Elite Amateur Boxing Club. We are on the way to regionals in Boise. And at the end of the month, we'll be in Independence, Missouri. Awesome, awesome. Yep, safe travels and knock them out, man. Uh-hoo. Uh-hoo. Uh-hoo, little big man. Uh-hoo, uh-hoo. That was good. Any um, quick reflections on what anything Randy had to say that kind of stuck out for you? Um, the one that stuck out to me is, you know, he's talking about when you asked him, you know, do you, you refer to yourself as an alcoholic, an addict or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it like, I mean, you'll hear me say it like I'm an addict yeah, and that's just because I'm addicted to everything, you know, drugs, booze, uh, love, might as well face it. Antis. Addicted to love. No, <laughs> but, um, but really, you know, remember I was going back to, um, what, 
I told you the psychologist told me, and you know, we have to be mindful of the language that we use about ourselves. So there's going to be times, you know, when I say I'm in recovery. Oh, yeah. And I think that admitting that we are powerless is on one side of that spectrum, one side of that coin, but on the other side, I think we, I think it's important for us to admit that, yeah, we are in recovery. Yeah. We, we did be, we are warriors. We are, we're, we're working it. Mm-hmm. And so to acknowledge that too. Yep. Um, so, so I like, I mean, most times I'll, I'll say in recovery, but for me, like, you know, try to, trying to be mindful of the language that, you know, I use. Um, I don't like to, I don't like to say I'm powerless cause I don't think I am anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Like as long as I do what I'm doing, then, oh, I, yeah. then I get my power back for sure. Right. I mean, I was, I have mm-hmm. to admit that I was, mm-hmm. and, but we're not really talking about like right now we're talking about that first step. Right. So yeah. I guess that's kind of, but you know, you get to that point where I got to that point where, um, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery. For sure. So to own that and to be, well, while maintaining humility, but also, you know, taking pride in that too. Yeah. Because there's that idea of, okay, you can see what I'm doing. Not that I'm something super great and super special, but you can have it too. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Definitely. So like try to piggyback off of what JC was saying and what, um, Randy was saying that there's many pathways and yeah, that lingo is very important because you might say, Hey, I'm an alcoholic, but you're working with a addict, somebody who deals with drugs and that might tune them out that they'll sit there and say, Oh, he can't relate to me. So they're not willing to listen to what you have to say. So that's why when I explain that the reason why I say I'm an alcoholic is because AA is the program that saved my life. Yeah. But alcohol will take me to a deep, dark place where I will put any substance in my body in order to feel better. So I I try to say that so I'm not trying to shut them out and basically make sure I can relate to them on a personal level. Yeah. For sure. And I just wanted to add a little wordage, verbiage to the first step. Step one says we, we, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol without God, that we had lost control of our lives without God. Because for me, I am, <clears throat> I do have power. I have dominion over alcoholism, addiction, because God's in my life. Mm. And my life is in control because I'm not in control. God's in control. And I recognize that, and I, that's how I live my life every day now. So with God, you're, you're not powerless. With God, your life can be in control. And that's, how I, that's, my, that's my two cents. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yep. Right on. So we good to go? I'm good to go. All right. So we'll close out here. Thank you, Chester, for joining us as always, bringing that fire. Randy, for bringing that fire on the recording, and your favorite Indian for bringing that fire. As always, appreciate you guys. We love you. To all our listeners out there all over Flat Earth, we love you and we appreciate you. And to our unspoken words, disciples, keep spreading unspoken words, gospel, Billy Graham style. Ha ha hey. Uh, hey. Be sure to hit that like, that subscribe, follow us on Podbean if you can. That really helps us out. Don't be afraid to comment. Don't be afraid to email. 
We always can use your feedback. Thank you. Much love. Be kind to yourself. Ahoo. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And Instagram. Ahoo. Ahoo. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk.